Good morning, East Point. Happy Easter to you on this Resurrection Sunday. We're glad that you joined us. And we're going to start off today in Philippians 3, 10 through 14. Philippians 3, 10 through 14. This is Paul talking here, and he says this. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him into his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. People, we thank you for turning, tuning in to, on this Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday 2020. Now, of course, we're sad because we're not able to celebrate together as a body in person. But we're still going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate the foundation of our faith and the reason that we have hope and a peace that passes all understanding. And this is the day that we celebrate why we can rejoice in all circumstances. And at this point, before we go any further, we want to say thank you. Thank you for all your encouragement. Thank you for all your prayers, all your well wishes, and for how you, East Point, continue to be the church. The mission of the church continues. And of course, the church is not the body. The church is each one of Christ's followers. And today, as we get into the book of Philippians, and just as Paul opened his letter to the church of Philippi, it is also the sentiment of the leadership here and the staff here that we want to say these words out of Philippians 1 to you. It says this, it says, I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. For the first day, from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on and into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Well, this is definitely an Easter that we will never forget. And I've been telling our students for some time now that they will be telling their grandchildren about what it was like to live through the COVID-19 pandemic. We are living in unprecedented and scary times, maybe none more scary than whenever they decided to cancel school for a while to shut the schools down and allow for the Normans to become homeschool parents and so many others as well. I saw a social media post that said this, and just like that, there was prayer and spankings back in school, and I thought that was so true. I also saw another one that, said, that talked about that first day of homeschooling, and it said, first day of homeschooling, two kids suspended for fighting and one teacher fired for drinking. Now, we don't drink, but on that first day of homeschooling, we were definitely considering it. And we, we love our kids. We think we have great kids. And we might be biased. You know, Brooks is 10 and Avery is a teenager now. We, we think they're great kids, you know, smart and fun and talented. But they are definitely at times turkeys. And I don't know where they get that from. I, I'm pretty sure it's their mother's side of the family. Um, if you know Audrey, you know it's probably not her side, it's probably from my side. 
But that, just to give you an example, that first day of homeschooling, Brooks had to write this paragraph that explained his first day of school at, at home. And right off the bat, he didn't indent. An argument ensued, and pretty soon, I am threatening to dent him if he didn't indent his paragraphs. And Audra actually read the whole paragraph, and in that paragraph, Brooks makes mention of how much screaming was going on that first day of homeschooling. And whenever she saw that, she said, screaming, you can't put screaming in here. Take that out of there right now. And of course, we all got a good chuckle out of that. But we definitely have a new respect for all the teachers out there. They definitely should get paid more than they do. And I'm thinking six digits, 100000 at least. And I'm not talking about a year. I'm talking about every single day. But there's also a more serious side of this pandemic, of course. I think every one of us has been touched by someone that we know who has contracted this virus. Maybe some of you out there know somebody that has passed away, and our prayers, our earnest prayers go out to each one. I think of those medical workers, those first responders, those grocery store workers that have been thrust into the crisis. Our hearts go out to them and their families, but also those who have been forced out. I think of those seniors in high school who are looking forward to those last, day, last days with their friends, their last ball games, their, their, their final senior prom, and maybe even, maybe even not, in, not even getting to walk across that stage to get their diplomas. But not just the young seniors, but also the older seniors who have been confined to rooms, quarantined from family and friends and the world, who know that they're only one foolish away, move away from, and maybe not even their own foolish move, one foolish move away from not just their retirement years, their golden years, but eternity. Our hearts go out to those parents that are living paycheck to paycheck, and they look around, and they have no job. Those small business owners who have put so much into this small businesses to bless their families and to bless other families, and all of a sudden they may be gone as well. It's a sad and it's a scary time. I mean, when is it going to end? Where is it going to end? How is it going to end? And I know that I've gone down that road as well in my mind, that what if game. What if I contract? What if my family contracts it? What if this person contracts it? And each time I play that what if, that outcome gets worse and worse. Fear and worry cloud my mind. But a couple of scriptures have been very encouraging to me during this time. That first one is in Philippians 4. And it's Paul talking here. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. And he says this, he says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I can just hear Paul saying, hey, we're good, we're fine. We've got Jesus. That's all we need. We're good. Hebrews 12 has been another encouraging verse to me. I know I preached on this verse a couple months back, and it was a good verse then. It's a good verse now, and I know it's going to be a good verse in the future. It's one of my favorites, and it 
Hebrews 12, the author here is saying, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw everything, let us let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us who for the joy, keeping our eyes fixed and focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And I think that's the last thing that God's kingdom needs right now is that his pe- for his people to lose heart, for his people to get discouraged, for his people to run and feel fear, for his people to grow weary. And I know that whenever I get my eyes off of the issue, off of the problem, off of the sickness, off of the pandemic, and get my eyes fixed and focused on Jesus, that's whenever I start to walk by faith and not by sight. And whenever I start to walk by faith and not by sight, I start to get excited. I mean, maybe this world isn't on the brink of a great depression, but maybe this world is on the brink of a great awakening. Great faith normally starts with great crisis because it's at those times that we can't lean on our own talents. We can't lean on our own status. We can't lean on our own wisdom. We can't lean on our own gifts. We can't lean on our own wealth. We can't rely on me. And I pray that in this time that our eyes and our attention and our focus are turned off of ourselves and turned on to Christ, And we start asking these ever-important questions, God, what are you up to? What are you trying to teach me in this time? What are you preparing me for? See, Paul knew and understood this principle. Paul would run to those places where his skill set and talents weren't sufficient. In fact, Paul would boast about his weaknesses because it was in his weaknesses Christ's power would In 2 Corinthians 12, it says Christ's power would rest on him. When Paul was writing to the church in Philippi, he wasn't in a good place. In fact, Paul was in jail at the time. He was in prison. And Philippians really could have been another Lamentations, you know, where Jeremiah was the the weeping prophet basically writes a funeral song as he looks back at the destruction of Jerusalem. It could have been Lamentations too, But this wasn't Paul's first rodeo with tough times. In fact, Paul was in prison with Silas in Acts 16. And Roman prisons were horrible. They were terrible. Routinely, prisoners were asking to just die. They were routinely committing suicide. Yet Paul and Silas were in this prison, this Roman prison, and they were singing praises turning their worry to worship, turning their pain into praises. And Paul was experienced in these kind of times. Paul was beaten. Paul was shipwrecked. Paul was persecuted. And if there was anyone that could have had that woe is me message, it was Paul. But rather it was the exact opposite for Paul, especially here in Philippians. Even though Paul is writing for Philippians Philippians is called the book of joy. 16 times Paul uses the word joy or rejoice in those four short chapters. 
And if you ever wonder how Paul was able to impact the world like none other than Christ, it was because Paul was able to detach himself from the temporary so that he could keep his eyes fixed and focused on the eternal. He was able to say in a thousand different ways, all I need is Jesus. If I've got Jesus, I've got everything. All I desire is Jesus because his joy in Christ was not based on circumstance, but rather on faith. And Paul had every reason to put his trust in himself. He was says that he was well-educated. He was a leader of leaders. He was well-respected. Jewish moms and dads would say to their sons and to say to their sons, hey, look at, look, at, look at him. That's who you need to emulate. When Paul was out, I mean, he was the man. He was kissing babies and he was signing autographs. Paul had it all. Or should I say Saul? Saul had it all. Because then Jesus, then Jesus met him on that road to Damascus. Paul was nowhere close to being that man that God had intended him to be. He had the approval of man, but definitely not of God. Because then Jesus, then Jesus shows up in his life, and his life is flipped upside down, turned inside out. And he says in Philippians 3, he says, But whatever was profit to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ Jesus. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. All those good things that I once possessed, that, I, that once made me significant, that made me stand out, yet they're all garbage. They're all trash because they were keeping me from knowing the joy that is in Christ and Christ alone. In verse 10, he says this. He says, um, his, and it's his life verse. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know him. I want to know this Christ and the power of his resurrections. And I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him, even into his death. Because all I need is Jesus, and I don't care what it takes. All I want is Jesus. You know, please, please strip everything else away that is not of him. And I think that we all desire to have this kind of faith. But a lot of times we don't pursue it. We don't run after it like Paul did. And that's not good enough for God. So God pursues us. He allows our lives to get shaken up. He allows trouble. He allows crisis. And so that we'll gain a better understanding that we are not in control, but that he is in control and that we need him. They're reminders that this life, this world is temporary and we are not citizens of this world. When all the layers of earthly securities that we have built up are peeled, peeled away, what will we find? Will we find faith or fear? Will we find pain or praise? Will we find worries or worship? And that's when we really take inventory of things that matter in our hearts, that matter in our lives. And so I ask you today, East Point, what really matters to you? Where does your hope lie? 
And right now, I can't help but believe that there is a greater battle going on. In John 10, 10, it says this. It says, a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and live it abundantly. Death is an enemy of God, and so also is anything that leads to death. Sickness and disease are enemies of God. 1 Corinthians 15 25 and 26 says, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. God doesn't create enemies, but rather conquers them. He is a source of life, and everything about him is opposed to sickness and death. It is not part of the kingdom. In the past few years, I've had the privilege of visiting many of our sick and elderly in the hospital. And consistently, over and over again, I haven't heard that woe is me attitude, but rather the exact opposite. I've been blessed with gratefulness to a God that is working in their life, in the midst of sickness and even in the midst of impending death. Over and over again, it's been, it's been the same. I can't wait till I can get back in church. I hope to be back in church soon. I think of Mr. Dean. It would take an army to keep that man away from those doors on a Sunday morning to bless people as they come in those doors. I think of Fred Fisher and his wife Martha, who for years greeted at those south doors until this past fall whenever Martha grew ill. And heard those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and left us. And had to leave Fred as well. But a few days after, where do you see Fred? But at those south doors, greeting and serving, with a broken heart, that came to sit, come and worship the one who would mend that heart again, the one that would make that heart whole again. I think of Donna Whitaker, who has been sick since January with lung infection and hasn't been able to have any visitors at all. And I talked to her over the phone, and her words to me were this, Andre, I'm not afraid of death. I know who my Redeemer is. And for about a month, she has been saying, my goal is to be back in church on Easter. I want to be there to celebrate my Lord and Savior who died and rose for me. And it's been two years in a row that Mona Williamson has told me that same thing. I pray that I'm well enough to be back in church for Easter. I want to be there to celebrate. And the list goes on and on. Joe and Rick and Juanita and Benny. The list goes on and on. And here we are, Easter morning, a morning that we celebrate the foundation of our faith, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We look forward to celebrating with all our Christian brothers and sisters, all the joy, all the hugs, all the smiles. Can you picture it? Can you feel it? We want to experience that joy. And instead, on this resurrection day, our experience is separation. Our experience is isolation. And for many, it's severe isolation away from even family and friends. And I pray this for each one of you. I pray that you are encouraged. And not just encouraged, but you are empowered by these words. 
About 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to conquer a disease that was much greater than any this world had seen. That disease was sin, a disease that leads to death every single time. There is no cure. There is no vaccine. And so God said, hey, I've got the cure. That cure is my son, Jesus Christ. And it wasn't easy for Jesus to take this assignment. He said in the garden, hey, if there's any other way, Father, just take this cup from me. But Jesus, Because Jesus knows that there is going to be great pain, but there's also going to be separation. There's going to be isolation from his Father. Since the beginning of time, Jesus has been with his Father. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And now there was going to be separation. There was going to be isolation. But Jesus knew that he was there for a purpose. He was there to fulfill the law. And he, when he hung there on that cross, in pain, he yelled out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, meaning, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, to fulfill the law, to satisfy the law, Jesus needs to go to the valley of the shadow of death. He needed to drink of the bitter cup. He needed to go where there was no green pastures, there was no still waters. But he had to endure the pain that was caused by the path of the unrighteous, where goodness and mercy could not follow, where thy rod and thy staff could not comfort, where the Father could not be. And the people mocked and spat on him. The guards whipped and thrashed his body. The women cried and mourned his, his pain. The disciples scattered and ran in fear. The temple curtain ripped and tore in two. And God, in love, had to turn and allow his son, his one and only son, to experience every nail, to experience every thorn, because there is only one last foe to fight, one more enemy to conquer, and that's death itself. And at that, Jesus said, it is finished. And he breathed his last. And they placed that body in the tomb. But we know that's not the end of the story. In fact, it's the beginning of our story because we know that on this day about 2,000 years ago, up from the grave he arose and a mighty triumph over his foes. He rose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever, his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah. Christ arose. Do you know that Jesus? If you want to know that Christ and the power of his resurrection, it begins and ends with faith. And I urge you today to unite with Christ, putting your trust in him and in him alone. See, Paul had this kind of faith. And he knew with all of his heart that God is good, that God is love, that God's way is the best way. And he didn't get that kind of faith because someone preached a great sermon to him or had a great message or a great word to him. I mean, I think that God knows that the last thing that this world needs is another great exegetical or expository sermon or another explanation of God's love. But rather what this world needs right now is an experience. So many need an experience where they can no longer rely on their power, but rather need to rely on his power. The world doesn't need to understand how much we know, but rather how much we care. Not what we are against, but rather who 
and what we are for. Of course, God's word is good. It's our sword. It's our game plan for life. It's our roadmap for life. And it was Paul who said all scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. God's word brings us nourishment. God's word brings us encouragement. God's word brings us guidance into our lives. But it was because of experience that Paul was able to say, and able to say with confidence, I can. I can. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so I ask you today, East Point, do you have enough confidence to say, do you have enough faith to be able to say, Take all my pride, my dreams, my plan. Just give me Jesus. This house I've built on troubled sand, if I gained the world, it would never be. It could never be enough. Just give me Jesus. All of my searching, trying to be perfect, all the fears, all the lies I believed in, just give me Jesus. All I've been chasing, putting my faith in, let it fade, let it fall into pieces, and just give me Jesus. Your life, your hope, just give me Jesus. Your love, your peace, just give me Jesus. There is nothing I desire that cannot be found in you. You are everything that I have ever needed. Are our eyes fixed and focused on Jesus enough to be able to say with confidence, I know that these are uncertain times that we are living in right now, unprecedented as any that we've ever seen. I don't know what tomorrow will bring, but I know that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, for he is all I need. I don't know what will be taken and what will be kept. Maybe everything, maybe nothing. I still declare that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, for he is all that I need. Even though these days are uncertain and there's a disease that is threatening our world, it seems like it's just a matter of time before my family or I contract this sickness. I understand that. He makes me lie down in green pastures. In him alone I find rest. He leadeth me beside the still waters. And him I thirst no more. He restores my soul, and him I find hope. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In him alone will I find peace. There are death and reports of death all around. There are others that we are praying for right now who have contracted the virus. Many live in fear, but on this day, I know who my protector is. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or circumstances, I will not fear evil, for I know to live is Christ and to die in vain. For you are with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I know whose hand I'm in. Jesus is on me. The economy is tanking and Wall Street could be failing and I've had brothers and sisters who have already lost their jobs and bank accounts are thinning and food items are just scarce or too expensive for many to afford. But I know it is you who prepare the feast before me in the presence of my enemies. Christ is the bread of life. 
With him, I will never go hungry. It is you who anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. It is him who still provides in abundance. Because my contentment is not based on circumstances, rather on faith. He told us to consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. So I will be willing to share in his sufferings because I know he is preparing you for something great. I have found that whenever I keep my eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of my faith, that Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. He's all I need. Jesus says I'm the resurrection and the life. The ones who believe in me shall live. I believe this to be true. Jesus is the only one I need. On this day, I declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. He has risen, and I will not fear. Jesus Christ is my Lord. He has risen. I will not worry. On this day, I declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is risen. And I will find my purpose in Him and in Him alone. On this day, I declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's risen. And I will find my joy in Him and Him alone. As we celebrate Easter, I declare Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. He is risen from the dead, and I find my hope and joy in Him and Him alone. He is risen. He has risen, he has risen indeed. That is who you are. That is who you are. I pray that that testimony was a blessing to you and to what you're going through and where you're at. And I know that there's so many more that could have laid testimony to what God's doing in their lives as well. But I pray that you will join me in declaring this that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he has risen, that he is alive and well. And if there's anything that needs reported on this day, it's out of 1 Corinthians 15 where it says this. It says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ because he is all that I need. I mean, 100 years from now, the only thing that's going to matter is this, is who do you say Jesus is? And maybe there's somebody out there today that's never declared Jesus as Lord of their life, never accepted his love, never ex accepted his forgiveness, never accepted his goodness. And today is the day of salvation. Maybe you need to make a decision for him and put him first in your life and put your faith and trust in him and unite with him. If that's you today, I urge you to do that right now. And just pray. Pray with me. God, we thank you. We thank you for this day that you have made. We thank you for what we were able to celebrate on this day, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what we're going through, regardless of what this world has on its plate. We know that all that we need is you. And we thank you 
for how you conquered our sin so that we could have life and live it abundantly with you forever. We thank you for that great sacrifice. And today we celebrate that fact that your son, Jesus Christ, conquered death so that we wouldn't have to fear any longer. God, you are so good. You're good all the time. We love you and pray us in Jesus' name. Amen. East Point, just know that we miss you. We love you. And we hope to see you soon. Happy Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. He is risen indeed.